Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Okay. So there you go. Ah. Kind of an interesting way to let me know. This is a... Uh, a program that some of my friends have used. It's called TalkShoe. Yeah. And you can set up up to 250 people on a wow. on a conference or whatever. So That's a lot. And I can sit here and watch who's logged in and so on on the screen. Huh. So, interesting. There you go. So we should be getting, yeah, I don't know where Joe is. He's usually right on time, but. So far, it's you and me, big guy. <laughs> I didn't even look. I'm assuming it's about 2 o'clock. Yeah, it's it's time. So what do you know about the uh, point system? Who should I talk to? I want to try to understand how the draw works. For what stuff? It, it varies by species. For deer and elk, it's it's um, they just double it. So if you haven't um, been drawn in five years, your name is put in the hat twenty-five times. Really? Yep. Oh. Sheep and goat, and once in a lifetime, they haven't done that because everybody would be having you know. Oh yeah. Way too many points, so. That's what they do just to increase the odds of people being drawn who haven't been drawn in a while. Well, that's pretty interesting. Cool. Well, I'll, uh, I'm going to do some writing about it. I'm trying to figure out various states. I'm list- tired, so tired of listening to people whine about draws all over the country that I thought, well, maybe I could do a series on how the draws work. Yeah. One thing states. that other states do that we don't that would be really nice is you know some people you know they get drawn whatever you know may or june um by the time hunting season comes around sometimes they can't hunt for whatever reason it would be good if they could just if there's a way where they could just you know give the permit back and get their points back and draw the next person on the list sure that would be good hey joe i think you're on the yeah i'm on line Okay, Joe, so I'm here, and the other person here is Jeff Bernadowitz, who is uh, the regional biologist for Washington's Department of Fish and Wildlife and the local sheep nut. Uh-huh. I just and caught the, t- the tail end of, of your, his conversation and his questioning about, uh, uh, you know, turning in permits and, and then getting rescheduled for hunts. Yeah, we were just killing time. I'm thinking I yeah, want to write Colorado something. Colorado went through that a few years ago, and they worked something out. It's, that, that has worked real well since then. Yeah, could, yeah I think I, most states have that. We, we've never done that here in Washington. 
And I wish we would. Uh, we well, just... it came up here in Colorado, and then uh, Colorado, through our Rocky Mountains Bighorn Society, uh, they worked something out, and, and, and it seems to work fine. So by talking to somebody um, in the Division of Wildlife in Colorado, you could, yep. you could, you could get that, you know, how they did it and what you got to do to to get it accomplished. Yeah. All right. Francis, I think you're on the line now with us. Who yes, else is on? Francis from Francis. Idaho. So, Francis, Jeff Bernadowitz, Bernie is on, from and Idaho. I'm on, and the other voice is uh, Joe Zabilski, uh, physician, one of the founding board members of the Bighorn Society in Colorado, from Colorado. And so... Uh, Francis, why don't you, we're just killing time talking about point systems and all that stuff for the draw, but yeah. why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, yeah, Francis? I have not heard around. back from Tom. Uh, I've left several messages, haven't heard back, so I'm not sure what's going on. Hopefully he'll join us. He's got oh, the yeah, info. because he, 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 he has a lot of questions <laughs> to answer for me. <laughs> Well, I know okay. he's um, – I had another call today, and he said he couldn't make it because he's out of town. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Well, that answers that question. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> so yeah. Maybe we can do something another time, Joe. But, yeah, uh, okay. Frances works pretty closely with Tom, and she's worked a lot with Jeff. And uh, Idaho Fish and Game has been doing a lot of – really important sheep work and so uh, let's well, just you know in the last 10 years there's been so much money available through the wild sheep foundation and government grants and that, that so there's a lot of research going around and done and my looking from the you know, back seat looking on i see so much duplication and reinventing the wheel of money wasted where all the emphasis and key on 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 sheep today is, is re regards the domestic sheep uh wild sheep uh problem and uh the the, the problem of of finding a treatment for the infectious disease well Colorado, we've done a lot of good things in terms of uh lamb recruitment research and collaring and uh, establishing boundaries of where sheep and wild sheep and uh, domestic sheep come in conflict. We got a lot of that data and that. But but the, the major problems, as I see it, <laughs> is still solving the problem of, of the keeping domestic animals away from our wild sheep so Jeff and and Francis, why don't you talk about what you guys have been doing and what you think is hopeful and just kind of what you see coming and what's going on? I'll let Francis go. She's way ahead of me. I mean, in terms yeah. of what's going on in Idaho. Okay. Well, Jim, first of all, I'd like to ask you. So this phone call is being recorded. Yes, ma'am, and uh, the recording should. Available to everyone uh, once it's all over, and 
I'm hoping to write a couple columns, but before those ever go to publication, you guys will all have a chance to look at them, make sure I haven't misspoken on something. Okay. When you say it's available to everyone, you mean everyone that's on the call? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a, it's a digital file. There are two of them. I'm doing my own independent recording here with my little digital uh, recorder, and then it's being recorded by TalkShoe, which is the the program that we're using for this conference call. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's feel I feel like extremely recorded. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm just not sure. This is the first time I've tried to record using TalkShoe, so I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. All right. Um, so, did you want me to respond to Joe, or what were you? Please. What was your question? What? So, so Joe said, "How do you see the most important?" And you and I have talked a little bit about this, but but how do you see this thing of getting sheep and domestic sheep and wild sheep separated, and what do we do in the future, and what's being done? I know you guys are probably ahead of us in Washington at this point, but just tell us what you think and what you know and what you hope and that sort of thing. Well, I do think that the um, in order to have, to truly restore bighorn sheep populations, we definitely need to address contact with domestic sheep or transmission from domestic sheep. And um, I think to do that, we need to work with, we need to find people in the domestic sheep industry community that want to work with us and, you know, figure out what would, you know, we can't just as the agriculture community can't really tell us how to manage wild sheep, you know, we need, we can't tell the domestic sheep industry how to manage domestic sheep but if they recognize there's a problem and we recognize there's a problem then i think the long-term solution is to for us to work together so what sort of efforts have been made so far and with what success because i know you guys are reaching out to the sheep growers and so on yeah we've uh particularly been working with small producers or even hobby flocks, and we've had, um, you know, gotten really good support there. People are really interested, um, and you know, it's not the domestic sheep themselves that are a problem. It's the pathogens they carry, and so. Right. Um, you know, obviously, I think the safest thing for bighorn sheep is to not come into contact with domestic sheep. So that's the first, the best solution. From That'll never bighorn, happen. Yeah, from a bighorn sheep perspective, though, that's... Wild that's sheep the, go where they want to go. You can control domestic sheep. You, And the key is controlling right. domestic sheep. Right, that's what I'm sheep. saying. It's controlling domestic sheep so bighorn sheep don't come into contact with them. So right. in areas we know bighorn sheep use, I think our first choice would be to not have domestic sheep in those areas. Now, you know, there's if it's private land, that's we can't that's not uh you know, we can talk to people about it, 
And if they choose to, you know, they recognize, you know, feel that it's worth them not having domestic sheep so that they can protect bighorn sheep, then that's great. And if they don't, if they still want to have domestic sheep, then, you know, we're trying to work on other options to reduce the risk. And that involves um, trying to clear the pathogen or, you know, somehow um, make those, make it not possible for those domestic sheep or very unlikely that they would transmit pathogens to bighorn sheep. So we're, that's where we're working with the producers and, you know, it has to be something that works for them. Um, and that's why it's really important to understand how people, you know, how, what kind of operation they have and what's feasible for them to do. And, you know, and then we can, like Tom Besser is the leader in this, of figuring out what would actually work from a scientific perspective to clear the pathogen. So it's kind of a both a science problem and also, you know, what just makes common sense for a producer. Yeah, it's a real people issue at some point. Absolutely. Politics. And I mean, I think Politics. one thing I feel like, sorry, Joe, I just want to say this and then I'd like to hear what you have to say. Um, I do think that it's really important for um, community to, for, you know, I think most people like bighorn sheep. They have nothing against bighorn sheep, at least, and, and a lot of people really enjoy them. And so we need the support of the communities where bighorn sheep exist to help make it possible for them to live there. And so we need community-supported conservation for this to work. It can't just be, you know, a wildlife manager trying to um, do this on their own or any really government um, program. I think it also has to come from the community and from, you know, organizations like yours that support bighorn sheep and people who live in the community and can help spread the word and and work together with the agencies and the public to make this happen. Because there has to be a will on the part of the public or it won't, you know, we, we're not going to be able to manage bighorn sheep to anything like what they, you know, sort of sustainable populations. What were you going to say, Joe? The word is education. The uh, Sheep Foundation, the, the Sheep Societies, uh, and professionals in the field have to educate the public. The, the public need to be educated. And, 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 and again, today with social me media and everything, there's an opportunity to, to educate them. So the emphasis should be on education, educating people to the fact that domestic sheep and wild sheep cannot live side by side. They have to be at least 20 miles distance from one another. And that's the cold, hard facts. 
And once people understand that, then they will appreciate why we are so have such strong feelings about it. Uh, For 10 years, going back to 2007 and 8, we've been talking to the Wool Growers Association, the Department of Agriculture, these people about this. This, We've all known this problem. They've been aware of it. They ignored it until the recent lawsuit. They've finally come around. Here in Colorado, we've had some good results by communicating with some communications between uh, the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society, the Forest Service, BLM, and uh, the Wool Owners Association. We have gotten some sheep allotments adjacent to some of our bighorn herds uh, moved from sheep allotments to cattle allotments. That's the first step. And uh, and I must say, a mass media uh, blitz in the future that there is no future for uh, sheep in America. Uh, recent statistics is uh, we, we we grow something like 5.2 million domestic sheep a year in, in the western states, and uh, that constitutes 50% of what is consumed in the marketplace in the U.S. Half of the the sheep that go to market in, in America comes from New Zealand and Australia. Uh, we got to convince people to eat less sheep <laughs> and support big orange sheep. So how do we do that? A media blitz. It's just like what's, what's the politics going on now. Uh, the future of, of the coal industry, oil and gas, I mean, the, the, it's, it, you know, their, their days are limited. It, maybe that's 50 or 100 years, but it's gone. Uh, still having large sheep herds in our high mountain country, uh, Domestic sheep uh, for for to be consumed in our market. I mean, uh, I think wild sheep uh, have a higher priority. <laughs> well, they have to us, but not necessarily. Oh, certainly, but but that's what you got. That's how you fight it. You you the the the, the uh, squeaky wheel makes the most noise uh and you got to convince people uh to be on our side and not listen to the the sheep and uh, wool growers association and they're saying you know that uh, uh we 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 we, we got to grow more or raise more domestic sheep here oh we got to convince people we got we should import more sheep for our market that's my feeling. Yeah, well, that's that makes sense, but that's going to be kind of a hard sell. Oh, so what, everything's a hard sell. Of I course, mean, it's taken ten years to 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 to, to get uh, government agencies and and everybody to acknowledge a fact that domestic sheep and wild sheep cannot live side by side. Yeah. Now that. 
maybe that, that's the present situation, and that's why I wanted to talk to Tom and all the research work that they're doing at the university or at Washington State uh, about uh, the infectious disease. The work that they've done, they've the key now is to find a treatment. So, what is the status of the treatment? I think that's uh, why I want to ask Tom and well, his and his cohort, Dr. Shri. Uh, yeah. They've been working on this for ten years. So, Francis, you've you've worked Maybe with Francis, Tom. Maybe Francis, you you know what what the the the, the present status of, of of the treatment is. Right. So I'm definitely not as good of a um, communicator on this as Tom. Yeah. Um, but basically, and and Bernie's been involved in some of this too. Um, is that first of all the I think our approach is that it's a lot easier to treat domestic sheep than it is to treat bighorn sheep. So a lot of time has been spent trying to develop vaccines for bighorn sheep, and we're taking a different approach. Tom's taking a different approach to working with domestic sheep, and um what specifically he's trying to figure out how to as i mentioned earlier you know develop pathogen free or as particularly mycoplasma ovinomoniae free domestic sheep and there's a couple of ways that he's ideas he has about doing that uh one is to um remove to segregate the positive, so even within a flock that is the carrier of Mycoplasma ovinomoniae, usually not all the sheep are carriers. So if you only have a few carriers in your flock, to segregate out, either cull the carriers or segregate them from the non-carriers. And then when they lamb, you could take the lambs prior to weaning from the carriers. Um, and we're pretty early on and raise them, um, you know, uh, away from any infection. And so you could have offspring of your sheep before you Are call you them. about wild sheep or domestic sheep? Oh, it's all domestic sheep. Okay. Not talking about treating wild sheep at okay, all. Okay, okay, this is all, all about uh, the, the domestic sheep, yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. So the one thing is to call or segregate. Another um, method is to... Um, he's working on is to um, use antibiotic treatments, sort of very intensive, repeated antibiotic treatments, both systemic and um, nasal. Um, so, and and then the third is to remove the lambs prior to them um, getting infected, to remove remove them from and, the and how. How is what has been the has he gotten support from the wool owners association? Well, this has mostly been working with um, small flocks, uh-huh. and we've definitely gotten support, or at least you know the there's a lot of flock owners that are interested in doing this. He's been working at with the U of I Sheep Center to do some of the experimental work. So he's both working, you know, in the sort of experimental um, 
university setting and then also with the public, with the, these flock owners. And now, this, this um, is the center in Idaho. The... It's the one up in Moscow. You might not be very familiar with it. Well, no, I'm thinking about the, the big the big one, the no. 900,000 acre. No, he's not working with that one. He's, he's working, not working with just, that one. The U, university has a, a, a flock of sheep on just off campus in Moscow. So that's where he's working. And um so the so I so I guess he's getting support from universities and from um you know private individuals. I would say that not so much from the industry. Uh-huh. Sort of the people most, that you have been dealing with on public land. That, that the uh, Washington State University has gotten has been from the Wild Sheep Foundation. They've gotten money from different, from the Wild Sheep Foundation, from the agencies, um, from Idaho Fish and Game, from um, the Forest Service. So they've gotten from, but they do have the, the endowed chair, you know, they uh, Rocky Crate created the, or left the funding for creating mm -hmm. um, the position that Tom holds now, and that she formerly did you, held. Did you uh, work or, or train uh, at Washington U under under Tom and Dr. Sri? No, I'm a. I have worked for both of them, and I'm con I'm currently working in Tom's lab, but I'm just a wildlife biologist, actually. It just uh, by. Uh, I would say now, in terms uh, in working on these programs, have have you had consultants uh, from? Have you worked with the NIH, uh, the uh, you know the the uh, Center for for Disease, that, the one down in Georgia? Or? No. I mean, my, see, these are infectious disease specialists. Yeah, I well, mean, WSU has a few of those. I mean, one thing is, you know, and, these and are animal on infectious disease. Part of the yeah. team should be infectious disease specialists, uh, immunologists, and yep. uh, and uh, the people in the NIH working on infectious disease and stuff, and uh, the people down at for the in the center down in southeast uh, for worldwide infectious disease. Boy, they 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 could give a, a lot of ideas and help to, to you know to the efforts that are that's going on up in Idaho, Washington, and in 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 our west. I mean, yeah. Again, typically, they are interested in diseases that affect people. But but the but the basic that's where their funding comes from is in animals. I'm a doctor. See, I'm a physician, and I yeah. I it's okay, so you know that. Years. Yep. And then, and you can draw from so many different areas, get get people that can help, especially if you're talking about developing a vaccine or or using antibiotics and things. Uh, yeah, I think it's good to think big like that. But I, if you I think if you consider how much money, big. I mean, we have put in for NSF grants and uh -huh. you know really tried to get some big money and. Um, it's not a real priority, you know, when you compare it to Ebola or, you know, um, even 
you know, no, no, avian influenza, or even if it's a commercial, you, you, a commercially. You want to pick their brains, and you pay them consultant fees. I mean, it, the, yeah. the biologists like yourself and uh, Dr. Sri and uh, Besser uh, do do the dirty work, do the basic research. But but you got to get more other people to bring in ideas and things. I mean. Uh, I totally agree. We, it's we're, we're good to cross-pollinate. You know, yep. We've been talking about this for 10 years, about this, this the big orange sheep, uh, domestic sheep problem. And uh, like I say, nothing. a lot of progress has been made, especially uh, with Tom and Dr. Shree. Uh, but but uh, I think we're at a stage now where we should start <laughs> seeing some results. Well, in terms of when you say results, what you mean in terms of management? Management um, starting, you know, again, like you you said, using the the sheep center and and start doing clinical studies on with the animals. I mean, treating, start treating. We are, we are, yeah, we are. And and and, exactly. and then finding practical ways of using it. Jim and I remember back in the 70s when we we were treating our sheep here in Colorado with apple pulp, apple mash, alfalfa, and uh, anti-parasitic uh, drugs. Dark ages. That was the dark ages. <laughs> but 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 again, there comes a time. When you got to get into to, to moving along, you know, the, all the data now on the infection. I think uh, Tom and Dr. Shri have, have identified the organisms that, that 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 are causing the problem and what the problem is, and now uh, there are drugs and there's ways of of treating the, the infectious disease. Uh, the key is is doing it in a practical and economical way, making it economically feasible. The key, I, I I I agree with what Tom's trying to do. It's much easier to to treat the domestic sheep than it is to try and treat wild sheep. Yeah, I think you and Tom would be right on the same page. Yeah, I think no, he's doing I, I just what so. you're that, talking about. I think that's the way to do it. But again, it's got to be economically feasible, and and then you got to get the, the the sheep industry people behind you and the ranchers and the people, because the onus is on them. Yep. And, it would be nice to they, have the USDA. Down, and, no, and, and, the, and and then the the wild sheep die. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the bad guy is the domestic sheep. And we got to make domestic <laughs> sheep into a good guy. But, okay. But from my viewpoint, I, I I don't think that'll ever happen. And uh, so here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Looking at the larger issue, I mean, we're ultimately we're talking about. <laughs> you, you have to have something that that gets people excited. And generally speaking, when you're talking about producers and their cattle or their sheep or, mm-hmm. or anything else, 
you're talking about money at some level. Mm-hmm. So we need to know what is the relative cost of getting sheep growers to move their sheep from certain places or be involved in one of these uh, treatment well, programs with Tom well, versus... The, actually, the, 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 there are, somewhere I've got statistics of the number of ranchers who raise domestic sheep in the West. Yeah, I'm and sure it's available. And the is a program to convince them to convert to raising cattle. Well, you know, that that's like or convincing people. Or get out pe- of the sheep growing business and, and turn their ranches and their, uh, over to the Natural Conservancy and, and take, take uh, all that private land and the adjacent government land, which is, you know, the sheep allotments, which, and then that's another topic, talking about uh, uh-huh. the government policies uh, in terms of, of uh, making this land available for commercial use. Well, Joe, there's another part of this, too. I mean, it's all nice to get try to talk to people about changing cattle, but I mean, we've got, and Bernie can speak to this, we have sheep growers, a very large group of sheep growers in that impact, or I shouldn't say impact, that's not fair, but are in the general territory of our California sheep mm-hmm. in the central part of the state of Washington, and they have a huge number of sheep, and they have many, many generations of sheep husbandry. And to say to them, even to get them thinking about giving up sheep is like a non-starter. You're looking at maybe generations to get that to happen. So, I don't know, Bernie, have those kinds of conversations happened here? I I don't know which ones you're talking about, but um, yes. With our sheep guys. And and some... um, I've been sitting here listening, and lots of different things have been coming to my mind. Um, you know, you have to realize there's two issues here. One is the commercial grower, and the other one are the farm flocks. Right. Um, and from the commercial end, that is, you're correct, is mostly going to be government policy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you actually research it, um, at least here in Washington, I don't know about other states, um, they, they wouldn't exist without the government support programs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been programs to subsidize the shipping costs. There's a guaranteed price for their sheep. Um, and so there's loans. There's all kinds of uh, USDA programs that actually keep them in business. And so if your goal is to get, you know, those things off the range, you take away the economics of it, i.e. the USDA programs, and they'd probably go away tomorrow. Um but in terms of getting them to shift voluntarily, it's a slow process. We have one allotment where they're doing that um, voluntarily. Yeah. And they, they, they're multi, at least our one big grower is, is multifaceted. They, you know, they have grapes, they have orchards, they have wheat, they have cattle, and they have domestic sheep. Um, the domestic sheep end of their business is actually the big money loser. Um, at least 
I don't know what prices are doing now. Maybe they're coming back up, but prices were so low. I mean, they weren't making any money off it. And so they're interested in diversifying a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, getting them to completely just get out is, is not going to happen without, you know, some kind of policy change. Uh, you know. But discouraging them from raising sheep is Yeah, is, I'm like, is yeah getting them, well, to get them to switch completely from sheep to cattle is going to, what I'm saying is, Jim is right, it's, it's ingrained. I don't think you're going to get them to shift, change all their allotments without some change higher above um, in terms of the USDA programs yeah, well, the that support their yeah. business. No, that, well, that's right. You, you start yeah. with the government. But, yeah. but then, again, looking at the, the allotments, the, the, the focus, I mean, I'm not for putting everybody out of business, but there are critical sheep grazing allotments adjacent to significant wild sheep herds that have to be terminated in regard to allowing them to graze domestic yeah. sheep. Yeah, and, that, and that's part of the government policy and, and how they, they view NEPA and, and grazing allotments. That's happening it's here happening. now where the U.S. Forest Service has done the analysis and they know the high-risk allotments, and it's just a matter of making the decision. Well, that's it, and that's the key for our, our bighorn societies and the Wild Sheep Foundation to keep tab of, of these allotments and to put more and more pressure on the Forest Service and the BLM. Yeah, and, yeah I agree with that. But the other one you have to realize, which is is the small farm flocks, which are also everywhere. Well, um, as and those long are as they're not bit... near our historic uh, wild sheep areas, that is not a problem. You know, I don't think there is education. You got to warn these people to keep their domestic sheep away from the wild sheep areas. Well, I, I can tell you that in my area, it's they are in and amongst all of my herds. Oh, they are consistently. Yes, um, I I was just out today looking at. Mm -hmm. 13 domestic goats next to 40 bighorns. Oh, that's... It's every day they're there. Well... Um, and we've tried, we've gone that route. Um, Jim probably knows Laura Heinze. Mm -hmm. um, and oh. she did a postdoc here to go and interview um, as many people as she could that had domestic sheep and goats intermixed with bighorns and get their attitudes towards things and <laughs> tried to educate them. Well, it's, you can't. Eventually, those wild sheep are going to come in touch with them, and then the wild sheep are are. Oh, it's yeah, it's already happened. But trying to educate those people is not easy. Is no, what well, you found. And, 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 and if you read a report, it's it's pretty detailed on why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there there's some people who view those no different than their pet dogs. Yeah. Um, and well, there's and also a certain number of people who just. You can give them the science. You can tell them the science. Um, you can hand them papers. They just will not believe, no matter what you, yeah. you say, that um, their pet goat or sheep could ever carry anything that would hit, hurt a bighorn. Yeah. Well, here here we go back to treat the treatment. 
Yep. And, that, but, and then that's where either treatment or, like uh, Francis was saying, where, you know, um, and I wish Rich Harris was here because he's a, he is a lead here for Bighorn yep. Sheep. But um, basically we're, we, we've, they're, they're, they're trying to produce flocks um, of Moby-free sheep in prisons. So if somebody near Bighorns wants to have a 4-H flock mm-hmm. um, for the summer, we have a source at least to say, please go buy your sheep from this source. Mm-hmm. And then at least in that one situation, you would have, um, you know, you know, hopefully domestic sheep that are Moby free. Mm-hmm. And that's, but again, it's different people. I mean, if if it's a 4-H flock, you can get there. If they have the thing named Annie, um, you're probably not. That's where you'd need treatment. Yeah. No, well, they, they, again, it comes down to it's treatment and separation. Yep. Uh, in in the high country, like we have here in Colorado, and and probably in uh, along the the Rocky Mountain range, uh, you you can work on the allotment problem. But diffusely throughout the West, the key is treatment. <laughs> Hello? So, where do we start? <laughs> where do we start this conversation? Because I I want to do some stuff and I want to reach out. And I have, uh, as Bernie knows, I work with a lot of ag folks. And so I can reach people who are in production and also in government yeah, You're best off talking with people like Tom and Rich Harris. I mean, they've tried to reach out to folks, um, and I think it's just going to be a slow process. I mean, initially, there any kind of change is always going to be resistance and denial. Um, yeah. And then it's just, you know, once, once the pendulum starts swinging, hopefully it will get momentum. Well, I mean, I've, I've given talks even to, you know, um, hunter education coordinators, and here in Yakima, even though I gave them the presentation and all of Tom and Francis's data, I had peop- half that group yelling at me, telling me I was lying, and that pneumonia is coming from hay. Yeah. I'm serious. Jeez. These yeah, are hunter education instructors, and it's like, well, you know, here's the research, here's the data, here's what... You know, Tom and Francis have been doing, and they just refuse to believe it. And hmm. so, yeah, you know, I don't know what you do in that case. Um, Francis, is this has that been your experience that that people turn this into sort of a, frankly, what what we in the conflict management business call a religious issue, where you just can't really discuss it. This is how it is. End of conversation. Depending on the individual, I mean, there's some people who are more than willing to listen and learn. Um, others, not so much. Francis, have you run into that a lot over there? I personally haven't. I don't talk to as many people as Bernie does, but I do okay, know yeah, that if, it's people, his job. if people kind of have the perception that, you know, you're anti-ag or something... Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're not going to get anywhere, and, you know, they feel, I know I've listened to the wool growers, gone to the wool growers association, and they feel very, be- 
beleaguered and that everything is against them. <laughs> you know, we've got wolves and we have the government and now you have right. acorn sheep and it just is not, they're not taking it as a science issue. It's more just one more thing that they have to deal with. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah, that's a difficult situ. That's a difficult. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's where, you know, you have to, it almost takes like personal relationships and it takes a huge amount of time. And yeah, I think you can affect change, but it's not something that, you know, uh, region, I, I don't want to, I know our folks here, like our, our counterparts to Bernie, you know, they don't have time to sit down with everybody and, you know, and, and as Bernie mentioned, I mean, it, there's a lot of, it's not just a, a, a few people, it's a lot of people <laughs> and trying to, um, I mean, Jim, you said you've done some um, mediation and, you know, it's just a slow process of getting people to listen to each other and oh yeah, uh, it's and respect a, each other's position. It takes time to build these relationships, and you have to get people to trust each other enough to where they can really hear what the other person's saying. It's a fascinating thing. Yeah, uh, Jim, a suggestion. Uh, the, the executive directors of, of all the sheep organizations, you know, these are paid people who are professionals who, who you know, the, the, the director of, 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 of the uh, Sheep Foundation, Wild Sheep Foundation, and the, the Rocky Mountain Bighorn Society just the last couple of years has, has got an executive uh, director. And these are all biologists' background, and uh, their organizations would be the ones to. And, and of course, you got the Nevada and the California Wild Sheep uh, Foundations and that. But these people would be the ones to to start a PR campaign or the proper way of going about it to. Uh, Communicate or try to get get notices out to the public in that to 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 make them aware of the seriousness of this problem. <laughs> well, you no, start no, with I, sort of recognition of of ranchers or sheep growers who have made a difference somewhere, and that can begin yeah. with these people you're talking about, yeah. Joe. All of these. Yeah, they, they, have the resource, and and that's all they they do. I mean, they, yeah. Uh, also, I think you should go on the American Sheep Industry will, uh, website and see what they're saying, because that's one thing that you know people like us when we talk to the domestic sheep industry, they domestic sheep producers, they're getting a completely different message yeah. from their industry. Mm-hmm. So that's one reason they don't believe us. So this is a place where we could, if possible, we might be able to get some of these sheep organization directors communicating with the American sheep industry hotshots, and maybe there's a way there to build a little bit of trust, and that might filter down. So that I'm making some notes. That just might be 
Yeah. I, I can tell you, Rich, Rich has already tried that. Rich. It's been tried. It's been tried. Rich Harris has, has been trying to sit down with the uh, wool growers here in Washington, um, and he has. He finally got to meet with them once, um, but he'd need to talk with Rich as to how that's going. I mean, it's not that hard to call somebody up and say, you yeah. know, you want to sit down and talk? Um, You're right. And he's done that. It's just, you know, again, whether you make progress or not, um, and then what their belief is. Well, I'd like to talk to Rich, but I don't think I've ever met him. I've heard his name a few times. How do I reach him, Bernie? I can, I'll send you his uh, phone number. He, Rich Thank is you. a good guy. He's open, and yeah. Um, well, I'd, I'd like to talk to him and see what, at least find out what he ran up against, and then yeah. I think he, we can... Well, it's just something else we can try to get the the top levels to begin to communicate, and that may make a little difference. But this is, you know, I guess we've. I keep hearing through this whole thing, this is not something that's going to happen tomorrow. No, no. I'll send you Laura's report from here. You know, our local area. You can see what you know she found with the different growers, and I found the same thing. You also have to realize it's a, it's a moving target. Um, new people move in and out, and somebody will buy a chunk of property, and they'll say, you know, I don't like these weeds. I'm afraid of fire, and they'll throw out domestic cheaper goats, and their main goal is just to keep the growth down. Um, yep. Other people just decide suddenly, you know, the, the market right now is really good for goats, and so they're going to get in the goat business. And I can go and talk to them, and they can be sitting there looking at bighorn sheep and I've had them tell me there's no way they're ever going to come and jump in the pen. Right. <laughs> and so they might believe the science. They might believe that there is an issue, but they don't believe their particular sheep would ever come in contact with bighorns oh. because they've never seen it happen. Yeah, and, I get and it. So that, and you can tell them it does happen. It, it's happened over and over and over again, but um, they, you know, they just don't see it as an issue to them. I get it. I get um, it. And yeah, so it's not I, an easy point. <laughs> no. Um, I just like to add when you talk when you say it's you should start working at the top. I feel that we're actually better off to start working at the grassroots. And yeah, I'm, um, you're right, Francis. I'm not discounting that. I'm thinking both. Yeah. I'm just, it can't hurt to try to reach out to some of these directors at the top and get them communicating, but it has to start at the bottom, obviously. Yeah. I'm just, I'm I'm not, sorry, I wasn't meaning to say we exclusively should deal with. Well, I'm just saying that when the, when, the wool, when the industry is in court with the agencies that are responsible for managing wild sheep habitat, um, they don't have any interest in um, compromising. They're no. in it to win it. Oh, yes, of course. That's that's what lawyers do. That's how they make their reputations and everything else. But maybe there are some resources somewhere. There, there's got to be, you know, everybody, this is a cliche, and I don't even have to believe it myself, but I'm going to say it anyway like I believe it. Everybody has something that opens them up, that, that 
turns their mind to thinking in a different way. And it's just sometimes really tricky to find whatever that something is. I just, this is really an enlightening conversation because I'm seeing both ends of the scale and, and it's just fascinating and daunting and whatever. Go ahead, sorry. And believe me, Jim, this is very good. I mean, I've, <laughs> it isn't like I haven't thought about this and talked with people about it. You know, how do you get people to change their attitude or, and, you know, and it's, it's both, you know, people who are raising sheep and goats and also the general public who influence policy. Um, oh, yeah. Well, you I and mean, I have talked the, the, the a general lot. Public, I know you. I don't, as Francis said, you know, in terms of, you know, um, most people don't, in all honesty, probably give a rip anymore because not that many people go out and even ever see a bighorn sheep. Um, even if they were aware of it, I'm not so sure it would sink in. Um, and, you know, at one point in time, we had the idea locally of getting video of a nice, cute lamb slowly dying. Yeah. If you want to get people to instantly react and do something, sometimes you have to go to extremes like that. Um, it wasn't done, but it was just an idea of, you know, if you get something like that on YouTube and it went viral, you'd probably have a much greater possibility of, of, of making progress than you will of, you know, doing public speaking events. Certainly have more interest, no question. And so it's just the world we're in. I mean, you know, if you went over to Seattle or the big cities or somewhere and tried to give a presentation, you might have some hunters show up, but I doubt you'd have much of anybody from the general public who would ever even show up and even listen to you. Yeah. And never mind read a newspaper article, which, yeah, um, how many people under 40 even read a newspaper anymore? Funny thing. Jim? Remember yeah. when Archie Andrews used to do the videos? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, God bless Arch Andrews. Well, that's what you need here. You need a big horn sheep video with somebody with a personality and a voice like like Arch and present the problem, you know, and uh, get it on YouTube or even try and get it nationwide. Uh, but a, a professional video explaining the problem in simple terms to people. Oh, no, it, yeah. no but I think you're right. The other thing is, I mean, just typical marketing. Um, a biologist isn't going to carry the same weight as a Hollywood star or, or a famous right. singer. Yeah. Who do we need for a Hollywood star? Oh, what's his name down in Utah? Or... Oh. Oh, yeah. God, I got a mental block. Oh, you mean the Sundance Kid? The Sundance, yeah. The... Paul, oh, yeah. But, you know, he, he, he's been a, a great environmentalist all his life. This yeah, is... and he's got a good voice. And, and, and this is right down his alley. And he could be... He could be reached. I'm just well. I'm. Let me think about that a little bit. My son is actually in New Orleans shooting a movie with Kevin Costner and Woody Harrelson right now. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. He he's making pretty good relationships with some of those guys. But but yeah, the 
I can't remember the Utah guy either. Oh. <laughs> that he's got his film festival. Oh, give me a break. Yeah, thank you, Robert Redford. Robert R-R. Redford. Yeah, he he'd be ideal for this. And 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 if you, I mean, he he's been in the, in these fighting these battles all his life. You know, he's been involved in so many different environmental issues. I might know how to reach him too, but well, okay. Hey, but, but, so, but that that's the way to get to the public, like you say. There's some stuff. Get it out. The, the magnitude of the problem, and and then say people, what do you prefer, a wild sheep or a domestic sheep? <laughs> or a wool garment, yeah. Um, hmm. I mean, I mean uh, yeah, okay, well, all right, yeah, so I get the education yeah. and that stuff. Are there Are there some other questions that are sitting here? And I, I think I will, will try to hook you up with Tom Besser at some point, Joe, so you can ask him some of yeah. those other questions. But are there other things floating around here that that you want to talk about? Well, we got a pretty cool bunch of people on the phone, actually. No, because you know there are so many things about wild sheep. You could talk about nutrition and uh, habitat and a lot of other things. But but the the, the 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 focus has to be on, on these two things really, separation and treatment. <laughs> well, and I know gonna, the answer. The only thing that's going to save our our big horn herds for the future, really. I mean, and right now, the money is available uh, with with all the raffles and stuff. When those funds dry up, all the interest in, in big orange sheep is going to flitter away. Yeah. You know. Okay, so I'm pretty sure what Bernie's answer will be, and I know what yours will be, Joe, but if I start putting some ideas together and some things, uh, Francis, are you willing to be a, a sounding board for some of those thoughts and and come back with some other things? Sure, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to start playing with this a little bit, and I will eventually catch up with, with Tom and see what we can do. But, um, well, wow, this is this has really opened up some interesting lines here. Anything else that, that any either of the three of you wanted to talk about while you got this chance to have a good argument or discussion. The, the, the only other thing oh, to think well, of him is what like Francis is working on is what do you do once a herd becomes infected? Yeah, okay. Um, because, I mean, it, well, reality you know, is until you solve the problem of, like you said, either – you find a way to completely or come close to eliminating contact or come up with a vaccine and whether or not that ever happens will be seen um, you know and, what and the then get people to actually allow today? you to administer it. Um, is euthanize. Yeah, what do you do with once a herd becomes infected? Yeah. And there are too many people in wildlife management say, you euthanized the herd. You killed, you 
I mean, you stamp out the disease by killing the animals. And to me, I think that is overkill and inappropriate. But that is the policy in many of the state wildlife departments. Well, Joe, I know that Bernie has done some slightly different adaptations of that, and I'd like to hear what, Francis, what do you guys do in Idaho uh, now with those kinds of situations? Hey, I would really like, this is, I'm totally interested in this. Unfortunately, I have another okay. appointment at three. Okay. So um, I'm really sorry, but no, I also think it would be good to, um, you know, maybe we should regroup with, with Tom or you should regroup with Tom. He can talk to you about, I talked to you about his stuff. He can talk to you about what, what I've been doing too. Um, <laughs> okay. So well, anyway, we'll, I'm just really open uh, we'll to another conversation. Get... I just don't have time right now. But thank you so much, Francis, for making the time available. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you too. I, I think what you're trying to do is really important. So. See what we can do. All right. Thanks, Joe. Nice Bernie. talking with you. Hope to see you sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, Bernie, so you've done some partial things, uh, this thing of trying to remove sheep and so on. Oh, and yeah, I've written that was, that was that completely we... unsuccessful, and it, it never had a prayer of working. Um, but what, yeah, and you're, and, yeah, and that's what we've done. We tried the partial removal, and then we did do a full-scale removal, but it was just because the herd right next to it across the river wasn't infected. And so we took out, you know, one herd to save another herd from becoming infected. What Francis has been working on is a test and call. Um, the theory is that, and again, more Tom and Francis would be better to talk about this, but it's you know, once you get down the road a little ways, you only have a certain percent of your animals that are that are your carriers. Um, the typhoid Mary syndrome, and we're at least locally here, like in the Yak River Canyon, we're thinking it's probably no more than three to five percent. The question is, is how do you find those individuals and get them out of there? Yeah. Otherwise, what happens is you just, what we're in right now is you slowly go downhill forever. Um, you know, you, you know, because you, 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 your lamb recruitment just is never there, and eventually most of your ewes are going to get old, and, um, and, and then you're really going to go downhill fast. And so that's just the question more of, of you know, for society, I mean, it's, it, it's completely doable to go and take them all out and start over. Um, a lot of people find that very distasteful. If you do nothing, you also could be, you know, 50 years of a dwindling herd. Well, that's yeah. been the history of the, of the bighorn sheep in America. Yep. Going oh, back yeah. to 1880 with, with, with the scabies epidemic, and it's been that way ever since. Yep. Jim, remember the great Trickle Mountain sheep herd? <laughs> God, yes. Uh, if you look at Washington, right now their herds have, well, we've, we've only started reintroducing in the 1960s, but mm -hmm. most of our herds have never really gone, I mean, the average is 25, 30 years before you get an infection. Yeah. 
And so it isn't if, it's when. That's right. Um, and then what do you do about it? I mean, and so that that's a tough question. And it's and so the, what Francis is working on is an intermediate where, you know, if, you, if it isn't a huge herd, you have the possibility of trying to test and then remove the animals that are still shedding the bacteria. Bye. Yeah, well, that, the, the, the Division of Wildlife in Colorado has been doing that for 50 years, you know. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it's just until now, nobody knew what even to look for, but through the research now, everybody at least that's involved well, yeah. in it is so, pretty much sure we know what it is. Oh, God. What? And so we know what bacteria to look for. Yeah. Well, that's that's why I'm so gung-ho for treatment. We know what the bugs are and the organisms are. There there are, <laughs> there, there are in, in this day and age of, of, of we, we should be able to find medicines to treat them with, well, you, ways to treat them. Yeah, uh, well, that's... Let me the, throw the, something the, at you. Are you... Uh, inter do you know about bacteriophage phage treatment? Yep. You know, viral treatment? That's yep. a whole area that needs to be explored. Oh, yeah. And that's and, and that's where, I mean, Tom's a microbiologist. Yeah. And so that's where he's coming from, and yep. that's why it's good to have him working on us. He's brought a whole new set of eyes to the problem. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the problem with the bacteria, to my understanding, is... You know, in terms of ever finding an antibiotic, it's probably not going to happen, um, just because of the way the bacteria works in the cell walls on it. Uh, but again, Tom would have to describe that a lot better than but I. But that's do. bacteria. We're talking about viruses. Oh, I know. And yep. and immune immune there there's just so many areas, you know, because oh, everything yeah. is DNA related today. Yep. I mean, so there, there's a whole area that needs to be explored oh yeah and and uh I'm, i i are there any other people you know i i've i've gone through the literature and stuff I, uh outside of what uh sri and tom are doing up at washington state uh are, are there any other places university of montana uh CSU in Colorado was very good 20, 30 years ago, but that's not one of their strong points now. There's a there's a, 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 a veterinarian by the name of Miller there who's done some work. It, most of the stuff that again you need to talk to Tom and Francis yeah. about. They're they're more up on the literature, but you know Tom's probably the leader right now in terms oh, yeah. of. You know, trying to find an actual solution. A lot of the other research is, like you said, it's, dupl it's duplication, yeah. and 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 not really trying to find a solution. It's it's, no, it's 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 more proving that it's mycoplasma or not mycoplasma, and it still comes down to it's. You know, I think that's in most states, everybody's con con convinced it's mycoplasma now. Mm -hmm. um, Shree's Shree's long gone. He he was looking at the wrong thing to begin with. Yeah. Um, he, he he you know he 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 was looking more at the pastorella rather than the mycoplasma. Yeah. 
Um, and I think Tom's Tom and Francis are more or less proven that that wasn't the, the problem. Mm-hmm. And so now it's just now that you know what it is and you have all the DNA and and you can go back in time and prove what caused various die-offs. Now what do you do about it? Well, yeah, because they've identified all the DNR our strains. Yeah. You know, yes. Where you could focus down at that level. <laughs> well, and that's and that's in all honesty part of the problem. Mycoplasma has what Tom's identified somewhere, oh, greater than ninety different strains. Yeah. And so when you're and I wouldn't doubt if the bacteria is continuing to mutate over time. I mean, yeah. they do, as you know, as a doctor, things do that. Um, and that, you know, strain strain A doesn't give an animal immunity to strain B. And I would I would bet some vaccines might work on strain A, B, and C, but not F, Y, and G. Yeah. And so, so this, again, this is I, where I bring up the point of bringing in. Uh, the the medical people and and what they've been doing with humans and that and and plugging them into this research what what Tom is doing yep maybe they can come up with some other ideas or some other things yes well yeah I mean but even, even it's a whole interesting conversation when I mean, we've we've yet to, to to cure the common cold or prevent flus from spreading around yeah and so yeah to try to Cure it in sheep is, is well. No, but you, no, but medicine. God, we've come a long way uh, <laughs> for, for for with infectious disease in human beings. I mean, from uh, oh, yeah. typhoid, uh, scarlet fever. Uh, I lost a daughter forty years, fifty years ago, plus years ago, to Haemophilus influenza. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we've come a long way, and uh, we're we've got a long way to go yet. Yep. And like I said, that's where talk again. That's why I haven't wish Thomas here because again, being yeah. a microbiologist, yeah. he he's he's the one who's been on top of this, yeah. um, and is progressing it a lot faster in the last five years than we had been in the, in the previous twenty. Yeah. And so there is hope. It's just it's it's. <laughs> There is no silver bullet. Yeah. Well, so, Joe, I will get you some contact information for Tom, and you may okay. have it already, but I'll sort of facilitate you guys at Great. least having a chat, and maybe we can have another one of these confabs. Yep. Jim, I'll send you Laura's report and also Rich's phone number. Yeah, I talked to Laura a little bit about her work. She was my advisee on her master's. I was her yeah, thesis. Yeah, I knew that. I knew you knew her, so yeah. But and she did a, a really good yeah, job she's, with a you know the. the she was very excited about that, but I don't think I ever saw her report on that. So I'd love to see it. Thank yep. you. Okay, Joe. Well, well Jim, again, you've uh, <laughs> you've stimulated a lot of interest in a, no. an age-old problem. <laughs> Let's let's see what we can put together. We'll have a lot more conversations. You Bernie, bet. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Okay. I I know how busy you are over there, Bernie. I really and I and I'm serious. I know you guys are working your asses off. Everybody I know over there is just kind of running ragged. So I really appreciate you finding no, no, time. No, this is important. Like Francis said, this is this is a high high in my agenda. Of, you know, I mean, okay. trying oh. to get this solved. So. 
Thank you so much, and we'll chat again. Thanks. Okay. Okay, Joe, you take care of yourself. Give Jerry my best. I will. And uh, we'll be in touch. Do you want me to give you uh, Besser's phone numbers? Do you have some phone numbers? Yeah, I got Besser's two phone numbers for him. If you want to reach out to him directly, I'm glad to give. Let me see. I've got something here. Okay, what's his phone number? Okay, his office number 509-335-6075. Okay. I thought I had a cell phone, but I don't have that. But that'll get you to him. And just tell him you were one of the people on the call and, and you would like to chat with him and yeah. If you don't reach him, then let me know. By then I can maybe round up his cell phone number again. We'll figure it out, okay? Great. All right, hey, boy, some interesting stuff here. I learned a lot today. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, when you come out here, we got to get together. We will. Uh, okay. I'm going to be out at the end of March, but I don't know how much time I'm going to have. I'm grabbing my two sons, and we're going to go kill pigs in Texas. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. <laughs> ah, yeah, there's a lot of them. We'll see what we can do. Okay. Joe, always a pleasure. You take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.